0: The Roman Catholic Church, a massively deceptive geopolitical enterprise, has wedded seductively to a false and fallacious representation of Christ through the papacy ensconced in the Vatican. It is referred to by some as the absolute monarchy, in fact, the last absolute monarchy of history. The terrifying tyranny of papal power, as Pontifex Maximus in the purported name of Christ Merge the power of the state to procure a global papal empire. That's the opening statement. Welcome to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. This conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction. Talk that transforms. Today is no exception. And I want to extend a word to those who are listeners. We have many listeners who are Catholic, former Catholics, present Catholics, and I want to talk to you just briefly before we go further. It's very important to distinguish between persons who claim to be followers of Christ while raised as Catholics and in the papal system that wedded purported religious power as the vicar of Christ to a world-dominating state known as the Vatican. There is a great difference between those who purport to be Catholics and those who who owe their allegiance to the largest and yet most powerful political state in the world, the Vatican, the world's last absolute monarchy. Now, you may think that I'm going overboard here, but let me just share with you from a Vatican insider. His name is Tom Doyle, and uh, this came from the Vatican. Uh, It was an article... Uh, he actually was a Vatican insider, a priest, and a longtime advocate for victims of clergy sex abuse. He was a former canon lawyer for the Vatican Embassy in Washington, D.C. He was interviewed back in 2019, I believe. And he said, I worked from 1981 to 1986 as the secretary canon lawyer at the Vatican Embassy in Washington, D.C., I was chosen for that job by the papal ambassador at that time. He said, I had a doctorate in canon law, which I received in 1978. So he was asked, Well, you were once very much on the inside and have a real sense of how the Holy See functions. So how would you describe the way it all operates? His response, The Holy See is the last absolute monarchy in the world today. Those are his words. The Pope, when he is elected, is answerable to no human power. He has absolute authority over the entire Roman Catholic Church, direct authority that reaches down to individual members. He went on to say all the governing officers of the Vatican itself, what we call the Vatican Curia, operate on delegated authority from the Pope. In the Roman Catholic Church, there are no separation of powers. In the Roman Catholic Church, he said, the office of Pope includes the three main offices of government. He is the Supreme Judge, the Supreme Legislator, and the Supreme Executive. So there's no separation of powers, he said, and no possibility of checks and balances. Well, that's not all. If we want to go beyond what Mr. Doyle actually said we will find that the papacy actually represents itself not only as absolute authority over the Vatican and the Roman Catholic Church, but also the absolute authority over all government in the world. The last absolute monarchy. So today on Viewpoint, what you're about to hear is something that you're not likely to hear anywhere on radio or television in america or around the world but it's necessary that we talk about this it really is necessary because unless we do uh... it is going to be very very hard to discern or understand even the book of revelation even the apocalypse which is the title of the book of Revelation. It means the unveiling. The unveiling of what? Well, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. But you see, there's a counterfeit. There's a counterfeit for Jesus Christ. And indeed, when someone articulates their role and their power as the vicar of Christ, that is Christ in the flesh to rule the planet in the name of Christ, you begin to see that we might actually have a problem going on here. And when that vision, that viewpoint, gathers momentum like a snowball rolling down a hill over a couple of thousand years, you begin to find that it takes on a, an authority, a power, a direction, a focus that very few really recognize. What we talk about here today on Viewpoint is not primarily a conversation about demeaning or debunking people who are have been raised as Roman Catholics who are uh, currently representing themselves as Catholic believers in Jesus Christ. We're focusing on a system. We're focusing on something that is far greater than what is commonly known as the Roman Catholic Church and is called the Vatican. You see, the Vatican is the smallest political state in the world, yet it has no armed forces, but it has its own postal service, it has its own ambassadors, and the world and all the nations of the world send their ambassadors to Rome, which is the seat of the Vatican, the smallest geopolitical state in the world, and arguably the most powerful. The most powerful because it is the last absolute monarchy. It's not just a monarchy that rules over a group of people in a particular geopolitical area, like shall we say, America or France or Great Britain or any other uh, political state. No. The absolute monarchy of the Vatican and the papacy is over the entire world. A global papal Empire, So it's pretty grave- grievous, in my estimation, to be compelled to include the papacy among history's gravest tyrants. But if we fail to do so, it would be like to cover our eyes of our memories in willful blindness of what has taken place in world history. And that willful blindness, I believe, could well inure to the world's ultimate despotic deception and even eternal Damnation! Now, I hope you listen with your heart today. Yes, listen with your ears. Listen with your mind. But remember that tradition does not define truth. Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, you by your traditions do make the word of God of none effect. Yet they claimed to be the final arbiters of truth according to the Torah. Jesus said otherwise because he perceived a much much bigger agenda that they were about and it was not about the true kingdom of God. So what do you perceive? We'll be right back Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we talk about the last absolute monarchy. We're talking about the Vatican. We're talking about the papacy because the papacy and the Vatican are united as the ultimate merger of church and state. That's true. The ultimate merger of church and state. No separation. I want to take you back to I think it was 2005, no, 1997, 1997. A book was published called The Papacy. And then it was republished by Barnes & Noble in 2005. It was written by a very highly respected historian, one of the greatest historians of our time, Paul Johnson, a genuine Christian who had penned a number of other works before that. Uh, one was called A History of Christianity, another A History of the Jews, another The Birth of the Modern World, and another A History of the American People. But this particular book that we're referring to right now was called The Papacy. Here is what Paul Johnson said about the papacy. Listen very carefully. The papacy is the last of ancient autocracies, the only one where the autocrat himself has preserved his essential powers intact. He talked about the Caesars, Tsars, Kaisers, and Holy Roman Emperors. He said they've all vanished, but the Pope is still there. Over one billion people of all races acknowledge his spiritual sovereignty. Rome, he said, means papacy, and the papacy is essentially Roman. Now, we're not finished here. We're laying the foundation for uh, understanding because viewpoint determines destiny, friends whether you're a Protestant or a Catholic or whatever, uh, I I really hesitate to use the words Protestant or Catholic. Uh, What I would prefer to use is a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, trusting him for salvation, and him alone. Let's forget the terms Protestant and Catholic for the moment. No, we're not forgetting that there are differences between Protestant and Catholic, but we're not going to use those terms because oftentimes they're used in a pejorative fashion in order to divide without thinking about what it is we're actually trying to say. In the reign of the late Pope John Paul II, historian Paul Johnson says even he, remained, as he said, a Roman of the Romans. That's a quote, a Roman of the Romans. He said, Rome, for all liturgical and administrative purposes, spoke, wrote, the language of the old republic and empire of Rome, the global perspective of the empire, which in their eyes had never died. The papal bulls were sealed in the earliest times with the Pope's signet ring, just like the emperors had done in Rome. The popes flaunted their internationalism. The Vatican administration itself, like the United Nations, is recruited globally. It never and rightly forgets its origins in imperial Rome. Now, I'm going to go beyond that uh, because uh, I'm going to go beyond what Paul Johnson is saying and go to the facts as they really are. If you were to take a look at the practices of the Vatican, the papacy in all of its uh, organizational structure, you will see that it was taken point for point from the ancient Roman Empire, the secular Roman Empire that was ruled by the Pontifus Maximus, or shall we say, the Supreme Pontiff. Where do you think the... Pope got his title, Pontiff. It came from ancient, or ancient Roman Empire. It was not spiritual, it wasn't Christian at all, uh, but there was a merger between church and state, the absolute authority of the emperor as the secular ruler who became also the spiritual ruler and therefore was called the Pontifex Maximus we need to understand these things because we cannot disconnect what is today from what was and what has continued to be without looking at its roots rome was reborn as a christian version of its old self said paul johnson the head of the world ruling more widely through divine religion than it ever did by worldly dominion Now we know you know that the ancient Roman Empire was deemed to be the greatest empire that ever ruled the world. It was the last great global empire. But it never truly died. It fractured, but it never truly died. In fact, it spread over the entire Western world. The entire Western world as we know it. Europe, America, Canada... New Zealand, Australia, South America, Central America, the entire Western world is, in essence, the reborn Roman Empire. NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, is, for all practical purposes, the reuniting of the ancient Roman Empire in a geopolitical fashion. But the papacy is even bigger. The last absolute monarchy. All with its roots deeply entrenched in practice and principle in the ancient Roman secular empire. Now, that having been established, the foundation... Let's move from there to take a look where all of this has gone, historically. Back in 800 A.D., Charlemagne was crowned king of the Holy Roman Empire, which wasn't so holy, but that's what they called it. The imperial coronation of Charlemagne was a momentous event in the history of the papacy. From that time on, Pope Leo III, having crowned the new emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, the papacy accrued power over all earthly sovereigns. That was their viewpoint. Viewpoint determines destiny. The papacy, the popes, believe and articulate that they have absolute sovereignty and power and authority over all earthly sovereigns and o- over all uh, pr- uh, presidents, prime ministers, prelates, and so on. By the reign of Hildebrand, who was crowned Pope Gregory the Seventh, all Christians, including kings and emperors owed the Pope unquestioning obedience. In fact, obedience towards God was defined as obedience to the papacy. In December of 1075 AD, Pope Gregory threatened the German king, Henry IV, and when the king refused to kowtow to perceive papal pride, Gregory Pope Gregory deposed Henry as king. Never before in history had a ruler been deposed by a pope. So what happened is that Gregory, Pope Gregory, irrevocably changed the history of the papacy. That was over a thousand years ago. And that saw the emergence of the so-called papal monarchy. With the papacy, that is the Pope, and all of the uh, curia, and all of that that goes with it, the entire functionary of the Vatican, the Roman Catholic Church, became an increasingly bureaucratic institution, in many ways, a state. Then came Pope Innocent III, who was not at all innocent, by the way. Pope Innocent, by careful and deliberate exploitation of language and images, created an ideal status for the papacy, which made the papacy supreme above everyone else. If there is ever a question, after what happened with Pope Gregory and his decrees, all that went away with Pope Innocent III. The Pope, Innocent, declared... All popes were the vicar of Christ, exercising Christ's powers as Lord of the world. The priest king Melchizedek, whose person combined spiritual and temporal functions. In other words, declared himself Christ. Because the Bible says that Christ was made in the order after Melchizedek. So Pope Innocent III declared all future popes as the incarnation of Melchizedek, in other words, Christ in the flesh. So what were the consequences of this kind of debaucherous, blasphemous merger of church and state under a single, pompous elected ruler that claimed virtual godhood? It was pretty pretty breathtaking, and even heartbreaking John Julius Norwich wrote a book in 2011 called Absolute Monarchs a History of the Papacy. It it probably uh, best records the moral travesty that he said borders on the grotesque. He talks about the famous uh, words of Petrarch writing back in AD 1340 who expressed unbelievable shock at what was happening in the name of Christ through the papacy. But I want to go on and I'm going to read a little bit to you, just briefly, uh, what he said. Again, political chicanery and the persistent, ever-increasing lust for papal power devolved into unprecedented moral debauchery, resulting what can only be described as continuing blasphemous papal brothel. Petrarch became almost hysterical with indignation, and here's what he wrote. I will not speak of adultery, seduction, rape, incest. These are only the prelude to their orgies. I will not count the number of wives, stolen, or young girls deflowered. I will not tell the means employed to force into silence the outraged husbands and fathers, nor the dastardliness of those who sell them their woman folk for gold. Prostitutes swarming the papal beds. And you wonder, friends, why there's been such a problem that has been uncovered in the last 20 years within the broader Roman Catholic Church throughout America and the entire Western world. This was the foundation of it. It shouldn't come as surprising at all. But it was a very short step from prideful tyranny of moral debauchery to the terrifying tyranny of papal power wielded as Pontifus Maximus in the purported name of Christ that merged the power of the state to enforce a debauched faith in order to procure and secure a global papal empire. That's where we're going with this, friends. This is not intended to just debunk uh Popes and uh, the Roman Catholic Church and the Vatican. it's an effort to try to get to the very bottom of history what has actually happened, why it has happened, and why things are happening the way they are today and are going to happen because what we if we don't learn from history, we are doomed to repeat it. So prepare yourself right now. Were a profound picture of absolute tyranny that comes in the pursuit and protection of absolute monarchy in further pursuit of an absolute merger of church and state, depending for its power and its dominion not on persuasion of conscience but on crushing all perceived opposition, real or imagined. The papal atrocities were so appalling that even their own contemporaries were shocked. Some called it the papal pornocracy. It became known as the rule of harlots. In fact, Pope John the twelfth was so thoroughly dissolute that there seemed to be no sin that he would not commit. Perpetual moral debauchery among the many popes sitting as Boniface Maximus, though was just the tip of the iceberg, evidencing what you might call the deep freeze of their papal hearts. Papal violence in unfettered pursuit of absolute power induced paralyzing terror throughout Europe, seducing thousands to betray loyalty and love and friendship and decency and honesty, making desperate bids at self-defense while being threatened with being burned at the stake. We'll be back.
1: Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org.
0: Welcome back to Viewpoint. Today we're talking about the last absolute monarchy, referring to the uh, papacy and the Vatican, its implications not only in the past, in history, but for the future. Yes, indeed, leading to the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll stay tuned. We were talking about how the papal violence became increasing in unfettered pursuit of absolute power and using paralyzing terror throughout Europe to bring about and secure that power. Nobody could defend themselves. I want to make an application here. You may or may not agree with this application, but I'm going to make the application anyway. As we speak, we have had two secular popes in America's government. One was called Nancy Pelosi. The other is called Joseph Biden. Each one of them likes to pontificate, I use the word appropriately, pontificate concerning their great allegiance to the Roman Catholic Church and their Catholic Christianity. But I want to point out to you what their life is really like. Is their like life anything close to a representation of Jesus Christ? No not even close don't even try to be what they do is use their alleged allegiance to the papacy in order to protect and preserve their absolute political power that's all they do so how does that work out well Nancy Pelosi was willing to do anything to protect and secure that power, even to orchestrate the January 6th event and to lie about it and deceive. And it's coming out, but it's very hard to go against it because the powers that be function almost like an absolute monarchy to protect against it, led by Joe Biden, who also proclaims his absolute allegiance to the papacy. But, as been revealed just in the last week, his conduct in the White House is so absolutely unchristlike, so belligerent, so maniacal, that the people, even that supposedly have allegiance to him, can't bear it. And look what he's willing to do in order to secure and protect that absolute power and to pass it on to the papacy itself for world government. Remember, it was John Kerry who said upon Biden's inauguration that Biden's inauguration catapulted the Great Reset and the New World Order government down the road to its fulfillment. Have you been looking at the decisions of Joe Biden? Really? Have you cleansed yourself from, shall we say, Republican and Democrat ideas and looked independently at what he does and the goals that he seeks to achieve? They're all about protecting papal power ultimately and his role to fulfill the great reset which is embraced and promoted by Pope Francis and by the way the last two popes before Pope Francis we're looking at something friends if you do not see these the dots connecting these things you will be deceived you will be you already are The world is in the process of being massively deceived. How is it that you think that Mr. Biden and his family can be so amazingly protected against the work of law, the rule of law, while attacking everyone else that opposes them? Most recently, yesterday, the arrest and indictment of someone who actually was a whistleblower revealing to Joe Biden ahead of time what was going to take place with regard to the stealing of election, and now Joe Biden is going to take him out, even if it means sending him to prison for the rest of his life. Even though what Joe Biden's son has done is ten times worse than whatever they accuse this other man of. How can such a thing happen? This is what the popes did. They were ruthless. Ruthless isn't even a, an adequate term to describe what they did. You recall the term inquisitions. Over several hundred years. Those were the classic harbingers of the betrayals that are going to soon advance the coming beast empire, friends, as your neighbors, your friends, your relatives, and even purported follower fellow believers, are going to betray one another, just as Jesus said they would, in displays of loyalty to the imposter's promise, that is the Antichrist's promise of global peace and prosperity through the, his infamous mark, just as like Jesus said was going to take place. So the moral degeneration and debauchery almost always presage or come before immoral uh, immoral terror to protect and promote immoral power. So when the church and the state are united, as under the absolute monarchy of the religiously empowered pontifex Maximus, Absolute terror then reigns supreme as directed by the supreme pontiff who calls himself Christ, the Vicar of Christ. A mere sampling of those kinds of uh, uh, tyranny. I'm going to share some of these with you just to show you the sheer magnitude of what's happened over the centuries. It's almost unfathomable. You may recall all of the people that were burned at the stake. You've heard the phrase, but the phrase does nothing to portray the horrific nature of what the Roman Catholic Church did under the authority of the Pope to secure his global power. For instance, There were rows of stakes that were set up in the ground, ropes to tie the Cathars were piled up, torches to light the fires were stacked, ladders were propped up against the Palisades. This happened in France. Early in the morning on March 3rd, 1244 AD, a procession of 221 men and women began to wind down a path to the bottom of a slope And when they reached the burning ground, they climbed the ladders and were bound together onto stakes in pairs back to back. And the rest followed until row upon row of men and women were filling the enclosure. And when all was ready, Archbishop Amiel gave the signal for flaming brands to be thrown in among them. Their praying was drowned out by the crackle of the fire as it climbed up the stakes and set everyone and everything alight, And as the blaze grew in the human forms and its center disappeared, the crackle turned to a roar and smoke, thick, black, and choking, began to fill all the valleys, dirty the meadow grass that grew between them and finally curl up into the sky. By the time it was all over and the Cathars were history, it had taken 112 years, the reign of 19 popes, and thousands of violent deaths before the Church of Rome, its crusaders and inquisitors, torturers, finally prevailed. Oh, and that is just a very small account. Do we have your attention yet? Then there were the other <coughs> were, excuse me, what was called the Tariff of Tortures, Devilish torture devices, implored by the papal edict in a terrifying atmosphere of suffering. No one was safe in papal pursuit of so-called witches, anybody that disagreed with them. Amid screams of agony, assailed by the stench of fire and roasted flesh on the burning grounds, the urge to confess, if only the torture would stop, made proving innocence virtually impossible. The instruments of torture, which included some of the most excruciating ever devised, such as head and limb crushers, slow strangles, or cat's paws, which shredded flesh, all caused unimaginable pain. And they were designed by the papacy. The ravings of victims were taken as true confessions, and they still died later in the all-consuming flames at the stake. And Pope Gregory was fully complicit. Tragically, many hundreds, including scores of small children, died in mass burnings. One bishop in Geneva, Switzerland, apparently burnt 500 victims within three months. In Bavaria, another bishop disposed of 600. In Wurzburg, Bavaria, yet another 900 perished at the stake. But the persecutions didn't stop there, encouraged by such popes as John XXII, who issued a series of papal bulls exhorting the Inquisitors to increase their hunts. Then came the Spanish Inquisition. I'm sure you're aware of the Tomas de Torquemada, appointed in 1483 as Inquisitor General by King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. He had a vile hatred for Jews, causing them to be expelled from Spain the very year that Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. Yet his unprecedented capacity for conceiving the most horrendous of tortures terrorized Spain that lived on as late as 1834, more than 330 years after his death, when the Spanish Inquisition was finally abolished, all driven by the papacy.
1: Have you ever considered what the early church was like? click sell church
0: we're talking today about the last absolute monarchy it's the papacy friends the vatican it is the ultimate merger of church and state for one purpose and that is rulership over the world the final world empire This is the reason why the secular globalists desperately need the help and promotion of the Vatican, the Pope. The Pope desperately needs the secular help of the United Nations, NATO, the globalists. No matter whether or not how hateful they are to Christianity, it doesn't matter. He needs their help. Why? Because without them, he can't gain ultimate world domination. Therefore, they use one another. And the woman, the church, rides the beast empire. It's all spoken of in Revelation chapter 17, part of the apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, before we get to the final aspects of this that I want to share with you, I want to uh, go to a piece that I received back in 2015, talking about the Vatican and the Pope and the Jesuit and their quest for global governance. Here are some excerpts. Pope Benedict XVI, in his 30,000-word encyclical, called for a new world order in it the pope calls for reform of the united nations so there could be true world political authority a global tax global redistribution of health and of wealth a worldwide distribution of energy resources then this writer says the pope's current and future are sure to play a major role in establishing the religious reich of the antichrist r-e-i-c-h the very word that is used to talk about the third reich of hitler the reich of the antichrist globalization is a multifaceted and complex phenomenon says this writer which must be grasped in the diversity and unity of all its different dimensions including the theological dimension in this way it will be possible to experience and to steer the globalization of humanity in relational terms, in terms of communion and the sharing of goods. This is where it all gets very, very deceptive and touchy-feely, friends, and why so many are seduced. On October twenty-fourth, two 2011, the Vatican released a document called Note on Financial Reform from the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace. The 18-page a page piece includes the phrase quote common good unquote twenty two times the news agency Reuters says vatican calls for global authority on economy in that article they say the vatican called for the establishment of a global public authority and a central world bank to rule over all financial institutions It called for the establishment of a supranational authority with worldwide scope and universal jurisdiction to guide economic policies and decisions. Now, who do you think the Pope had in mind, the Vatican had in mind, when they called for that? They didn't have in mind a secular power. They had in mind themselves, the Pope. He already was decreed to be the ruler of the world. The article goes on, managing the finances of the world was very much the point. Here's how the Vatican called for a supranational authority with universal jurisdiction to manage the world's economies. However, a long road still needs to be traveled before arriving at the creation of a public authority, said the Pope, with universal jurisdiction. It would seem logical for the reform process to proceed with the United Nations as its reference because of the worldwide scope of its responsibilities, its ability to bring together the nations of the world. So the Pope uses the United Nations. The United Nations uses the Pope. At first stage, in a longer effort by the global community to steer its institutions toward the achieving of the common good. Those are the deceptive words the common good as defined by who under whose authority and power as defined by the pope the vatican wants the united nations to help take the lead on forming a universal authority while the phrase the new world order is not found in the vatican document the words new world appear three times and what will usher in that new world That's where I want to go right now, very quickly. So, in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ called the Apocalypse, the closing book of the New Testament records in chapter 17, verse 6, these words concerning the so-called mysterious woman riding the beast. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. The same chapter tells us in verse 9 that there are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And again in verse 18, called the religious whore, the mother of harlots, is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. A woman arrayed in purple and scarlet, decked with gold, having a golden cup in her hand. That's the golden chalice, friends. In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. So, Is it possible to find reasonable calculations that would reveal the almost unfathomable carnage committed over approximately 1,200 years, 12 centuries, in pursuit of protection of papal power for earthly domination, that is, absolute monarchy? Well, indeed, in my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, We have an entire chapter called the absolute monarchy. We have woven pieces of that together with many other things in for this program here today. What has happened is that an estimation of somewhere between fifty and a hundred and a hundred and fifty million souls were destroyed. In the pursuit of ab- the last absolute monarchy, the Roman Ch- excuse me, the Church of Rome has shed more innocent blood than any other institution that has ever existed among mankind, including the Communists and Joseph Stalin. Lyman Beecher declared in 1835 of the Roman papacy, it has swayed a scepter of iron for 10 centuries over nearly one-third of the population of the globe, and by death of violence is estimated to have sweat from the earth, about 68 million of its inhabitants, and holds now in darkness and bondage nearly half the civilized world. W.C. Brownlee, concluded in his book, Letters in the Roman Catholic Controversy. These words, thus the church of Rome stands before the world, the woman in scarlet, on the scarlet-colored beast, a church claiming to be Christian, drenched in the blood of 68 millions and 500,000 human beings. So the question is, will history repeat itself? The answer is, it will. It will because we won't learn from history. We're not learning from it. We won't learn from it. You say, well, then why are you talking about it here today? Because maybe there are a few who will. Maybe there are a few who say, you know what? I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, It was just part of who I was. My family for generations. I understand that. I understand that tradition is not truth friends neither is protestant tradition truth any more than the religious traditions of the rabbis in jesus day were absolute truth there is a truth that supersedes all of them and that's what you and i need to follow jesus said i am the way the truth, truth, and the life. No man will come to the Father but by me. Not through the Pope, not through the mediation of Mary, not through any other mediator. I am the way, the only way, the truth and the life. No man will come to the Father. You cannot call a man on earth spiritually Father. You can say he is your father in the faith. That's a different thing. But to call him father is blasphemous. And that's why Jesus said, call no man father. But here is what Pope John Paul II said about that. He wrote a book called The Pope, A Scandal and a Mystery. This man who is called the Pope is a mystery, he said, a sign of contradiction. He even considered a challenge or a scandal to logic or good sense. Confronted with the Pope, again, I'm reading what Pope John Paul II said. Confronted with the Pope, one must make a choice. The leader of the Catholic Church is defined by the faith of the vicar of Jesus Christ. The Pope is considered the man on earth who represents the Son of God, who takes the place of the second person of the omnipotent God of the Trinity. So he says, have no fear when people call me the vicar of Christ, when they say to me, Holy Father, or your holiness, or use titles similar to these, which seem even inimical, contrary to the gospel. He goes on to say, Christ himself declared, call no man father on earth. You have but one master, the Messiah. These expressions, said Pope John Paul II, nevertheless have evolved out of a long tradition, becoming part of common usage, and one must not be afraid of these words either. Really? Pope John Paul II didn't fear God. He didn't. We know he didn't. Because he says, notwithstanding, he quotes what Jesus said, and he says, notwithstanding this, doesn't matter. Go ahead, because that's our tradition. So here's the choice. To take the creator God at his word, or to take the Pope and the Roman Catholic traditions as the final authority for life, faith, and practice. That's the choice. Where will that choice lead you? Well, if you embrace papacy, the authority of the papacy, you will have embraced ultimately the global government, the one world order, and the Reich, as one writer said, the Reich of the Antichrist. It's as simple as that. No wonder The next chapter, chapter 18 of the book of Revelation says, come out of her, my people. You say, well, doesn't that say Babylon? Did you know that in the days of the apostles, Rome was referred to as Babylon? Mm. I know that this can be very difficult for a lot of people. I understand that. I've shared with you the truth. If you want to understand more, get a copy of the book Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. $22 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. PO Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, two three two five writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. By the way, that's only one chapter of this book, The Absolute Monarchy. Oh, this is a 450-page book that deals with so many aspects to help you and all who are serious to identify the coming imposter. Become a partner with us, friends. It's challenging, I know. Do it today. Don't delay it.